Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. Oh, you silly sausage. It's David Cox. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Josh Matheson. And this week we are looking at chapter eight of Animal Farm. Last week was an absolute bloodbath, wasn't it, boys? Like It was really not that funny. Oh, it's so depressing. It was tough. It was really tough reading. Yeah. Um I, I it's I think it's pretty like ballsy. I know I don't think they should shy away and teach you stuff at school um which is just like babyish. But I'm like, god, it's cuz I think I did it in like year 9. Mm. And I was like, okay, I mean it's fine and it it that I think it is suitable for the upper groups of the year. <clears throat> um <laughs> but still, I, I don't remember I don't remember like reading it and being like, "Oh, wow, that was I think maybe I was just at, at that age like 14, 15 like, yeah. But yeah. now I'm like more sensitive to it. How strange. Yeah. I know. It does seem it there's a lot of innocence being crushed right now, isn't there? Yeah. Which you do wonder if it's appropriate for children, but I suppose this is a novella that wasn't necessarily meant for children. It was meant to kind of put communism and the danger of these regimes into some kind of like easily accessible format. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That people can kind of learn the parallels and learn the dangers of it but in a kind of friendly way because when it's, it's people yeah. it makes it even more horrific but when it's animals you kind of makes it a little bit more palatable i really hope that that parents at the time when this was published were sort of well informed about orwell and his political mm. standings could you imagine kids Night yeah. bedtime story got a lovely new book, Animal <laughs> Farm. And the ducks and walked <laughs> forward and got murdered. And then they slit their throats and let the blood run through the streets. Yeah, it's pretty grim. I mean, I have no idea where this is going onwards from here. I, I have slight worry that, I mean, we've got three chapters left and I have a feeling we haven't reached the pinnacle of the uh, tyranny yet. Are so, they going to become a nuclear-capable farm? <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon's going to start mining for uranium. Yeah. And he's going to be like, invaded by what the Foxwood and that lot on the pretense of weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> or, no, it, it, will be, it will be the cat who will build weapons of mouse destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine how much worse this would get if they struck oil? Suddenly everybody <laughs> would be invading as well. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. No crude jokes, though, please. Oh, but a brilliant. Amazing. It's a stream, a terrain. <laughs> Should we jump in then? Let's dive straight All into right, chapter then. eight. Let's get on with it. Chapter 8 A few days later, when the terror caused by the executions had died down, some of the animals remembered, or thought they remembered, that the Sixth Commandment decreed no animal shall kill any other animal. And though no one cared to mention it in the hearing of the pigs or the dogs, it was felt that the killings which had taken place did not square with this, Clover asked Benjamin to read her the Sixth Commandment, and when Benjamin, as usual, said that he refused to meddle in such matters, she fetched Muriel. Muriel read the commandment for her. It ran, No animal shall kill any other animal without cause. Somehow or other, the last two words had slipped out of the animal's memory. But they saw now that the commandment had not been violated, 
for clearly there was good reason for killing the traitors who had leagued themselves with Snowball. Throughout the year, the animals worked even harder than they had worked in the previous year. To rebuild the windmill, with walls twice as thick as before, and to finish it by the appointed date, together with the regular work of the farm, was a tremendous labour. There were times when it seemed to the animals that they worked longer hours and fared no better than they had done in Joan's day. On Sunday mornings, Squealer, holding down a long strip of paper with his trotter, would read out to them lists of figures, proving that the production of every class of foodstuff had increased by 200%, (laughs) 300%, or even 500%, as the case may be, The animals saw no reason to disbelieve him, especially as they could no longer remember very clearly what conditions had been like before the rebellion. Did they learn maths, the animals? Because otherwise that would be a really troubling... You could say anything. No, I think they they tried to teach them letters, but obviously you've got to remember they got as far as learning the alphabet. So the pigs have obviously worked out that their intelligence and their intellect allows them to to dupe a lot of the people underneath them. Well, it's it's funny. Like it it would take all it would take is a positive looking chart doing like that sort yeah. of yeah clip art with these animals. All it would take is a positive tone of voice, and they'd be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, very good. I'm just getting flashbacks of Nicky Morgan on the TV trying to tell us how. They were going to have, what was it, 50,000 more nurses. But it turns out like 35 of those were just keeping on the people who they already had as nurses. Yeah. And she was convinced, yeah. no, 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 it would be 50,000 like, more. They've renewed a contract. It's like, yeah. Everyone's going, it's not more, it's <laughs> 15,000 more and keeping the current 35 that you already have. No, 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 50,000 more. <laughs> and so it's like this, this kind of figure messing around with it it happens today it happens in every single government they're constantly Just trying sadly to... the animals aren't shrewd enough to pick up on any of it no or I too mean, scared to question it thankfully if they nowadays we're not we're not dumb enough to you know believe 350 million written on the side of a yeah, bus yeah yeah yeah, yeah well yeah, some but... people were sadly but you know whatever <laughs> no 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 they they no no they said you know uh, we could give if you look at the wording very specifically it doesn't it's not uh, a promise yeah. they'll give it just says you know, we could give that to the NHS. It doesn't mean they will yeah. give that to the NHS. That's how they get away we with it. We mustn't kill anybody else without cause. Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. Mm-hmm. Just like the bill that's going through tomorrow. You know, you can have a protest as long as nobody knows you're protesting and you don't do it in public and it has no impact. But otherwise you can protest. Yeah, you can do it in your own <laughs> cupboard. That's fine. Literally, we're turning into a police state. Everyone out there, we're turning into a police state. Just so you realise that. Okay. It's a happy, happy time. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to turn our theme music to minor key, aren't we? (laughs) 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 It's all right. I mean, I'm I'm sure censorship will come in and this will be banned. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to get We won't be allowed to have these discussions. Yeah, there's going to be police turning up behind me in any second because I'm highlighting the failures of the government. So if you are listening to this episode, it's probably on a wireless, you know, underground. In the North Sea. Some kind of it's been nice mood. knowing you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all of the good times. Mm, I hope your tinned goods are holding up. <laughs> all the same, there were days when they felt they would sooner have had less figures and more food. All orders were now issued through Squealer, or one of the other pigs. Napoleon himself was not seen in public as often as once in a fortnight. When he did appear... 
he was attended not only by his retinue of dogs, but by a black cockerel who marched in front of him and acted as a kind of trumpeter, letting out a loud <laughs> before Napoleon spoke. <laughs> he he thinks he's a king now, doesn't he? I, like that's like I'm royal kind of him on their shoulders. Yeah, exactly. You know. Welcome, King Napoleon, <laughs> the first of his name. <laughs> that kind of vibe, isn't it? Loads like, of random yeah. titles. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Go it's got, it's like it's like yeah. a full, a full uh, Khaleesi, breaker of yeah, chains, Daenerys. mother of dragons. Yeah. <laughs> That's why there was seven seri- Maker series. of sausages. Born. <laughs> seller of eggs. Killer <laughs> of snowball. Of the bacon. <laughs> Milk churner. Supreme. <laughs> Puppy Rira. (laughs) (laughs) Even in the farmhouse, it was said, Napoleon inhabited separate apartments from the others. He took his meals alone, with two dogs to wait upon him, and always ate from the Crown Derby dinner service, which had been in the glass cupboard in the drawing room. I'm guessing that's like fan- the fancy china. The plates. He's was- using the fancy china. Yeah. The Crown Derby. Monica would this- be very upset. I mean, that's for right? Thanksgiving and Christmas only. The fancy china. Only for when the Queen comes. Do you think, do you think he has a gravy boat? Probably, I'm sure he fashion. has a gravy boat. Dude, he's got a tooth rack. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know you've Without really made it. And he's got a little glass dish with a tiny little lid and a very impractical spoon for his marmalade. Yes. This is what I imagine. And a bell. You know? And a oh, he's, it, it just fits. He's, got he's a actually bell. changed. So it just he's definitely fits. got a little tinkly bell. Yeah, I mean the dogs have got little frilly, frilly aprons on. And <laughs> the French maid uniforms. Yeah, it's now just <laughs> Downton Abbey <laughs> with pigs and dogs. I don't understand this. How like people want to have this kind of power. And then you're like, but it must be so lonely at the top. And so like, do you know what I mean? Because he is obviously terrified that someone's going to overthrow him. That's why really? he's behaving in this manner. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the dogs tastes his food to make sure it's not poisoned or something before he eats it. So I don't understand this megalomaniac mentality because that just sounds like hell. Like eating dinner yeah. by yourself every single day and being worried that you're going to get murdered. Like, why would you want that? Literally. Is that power really worth it? No. It was also announced that the gun would be fired every year on Napoleon's birthday, as well as on the other two anniversaries. Napoleon was now never spoken of simply as Napoleon. He was always referred to in formal style as our leader, Comrade Napoleon. And this pigs like to invent for him such titles as Father of all animals, terror of mankind, protector of the sheepfold, duckling's friend, and the like. Oh, well, literally, we've duckling's friend. I love that. Duckling's friend. Orwell Orwell just absolutely um, just trumped us, really. Yeah, he really did. Those titles are brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Such a baller move as well, shooting a gun on your birthday. Just be like, yeah, another year, mother truckers. <laughs> yeah, he's just got. He's, <laughs> yeah, just gangstering in a drive-by in a horse and cart. But also because he's put it alongside the other two, he's basically made his birthday a national holiday mm-hmm. as well. Because of because of the you know the importance of the I other told two you, days. He's a king. The he's now a king. Yeah, that's it. In his speeches, 
Squealer would talk with tears rolling down his cheeks of Napoleon's wisdom, the goodness of his heart, and the deep love he bore to all animals everywhere, even and especially the unhappy animals who still lived in ignorance and slavery on other farms. Do you know who Squealer reminds me of? He just reminds me of, like, Michael Gove. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you, know, you, know, yeah. you know, you just imagine Slimy. what Michael Gove... Yeah, just that kind of, like, looks like a fish, kind of very, like, <laughs> red all the time. Yeah, really good lips for puckering and, like... Yeah. Ass kissing. Yeah. He looks like a haunted, silly, putty monster. <laughs> 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 that's exactly it that's i i couldn't describe him any better let's go, that, go. that's that's novel writing description there by david <laughs> it had become usual to give napoleon the credit for every successful achievement and every stroke of good fortune you would often hear one hen remark to another under the guidance of our leader comrade napoleon i have laid f- uh, five eggs in six days or two cows enjoying a drink at the pool would exclaim, "Oh, what a cow sound like!" We didn't give the cows. Can we no, give we... them a southern draw? Like, oh yeah, a bell though. Like, make it like Dolly Partony, kind of like that, rather than like Cletus. Do you know if what I mean? The cows are working nine to five, Matt. Yes, exactly that. That's what I want. I want that kind of like. Imagine big udders, big old udders. <laughs> <laughs> Two cows enjoying a drink at the pool would exclaim, Thanks to the leadership of Comrade Napoleon, oh, how excellent this water tastes! (laughs) (laughs) The general feeling on the farm was well expressed in a poem entitled Comrade Napoleon, which was composed by Minimus and which ran as follows. Is it going to be really short? I hope it's really short. It's not. It's not minimus. Uh, it is a poem, though. So I'm just going to read it as as a poem. Yeah, yeah. Or should yeah I no, no, read it as a poem. It. It's a poem. Just read. So. Okay. <clears throat> I was expecting it to be like a haiku because no minimus, and I thought he'd live up to his name, and it no. would be minimal again. Do we want to read this in the voice of minimus and actually apply a voice to minimus? I mean, we could certainly do that. Minimus hasn't minimus... had a voice. I feel like he'd be reading his own literature. He probably would. So yeah, you know, imagine he's just doing a book tour. Mm. What voice would Minimus have? What can what we make reckon? him like a really old, withered, old, uh, like Rada graduate from like the nineteen forties? <laughs> like, well, back in those days, of course, <laughs> I, and you know, Hamlet back in sixty-two, <laughs> really, national. Like, really I had a lovely run. Oh, uh, no. okay, Hadley but dies. not too slow because if it's a long <laughs> poem, it's going to take a long time. Yeah, I've got work <laughs> <It> tomorrow. Is... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which ran as follows. (laughs) (laughs) He died before reading the poem. (laughs) He expired. Always a preparatory beat to prepare oneself. Oh, sorry. I didn't go to Rada, so I couldn't tell you. (laughs) Friend of the fatherless, fountain of happiness. Lord of the swill bucket, oh, how my soul is on fire when I gaze at thy calm and commanding eye, like the sun in the sky, comrade Napoleon. <laughs> 
Thou art the giver of all that thy creatures love. Full belly twice a day, clean straw to roll upon. Every beast, great or small, sleeps at peace in his stall. Thou watchest over all, comrade Napoleon. Had I a sucking pig, ere he had grown as big, even as a pint bottle or as a rolling pin, he should have learnt to be faithful and true to thee. Yes, his first squeak should be Comrade Napoleon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Got to say, I am so happy that we recorded the visual of that. Oh, I have no idea what I was doing. Because I keep forgetting that we're actually recording the video now, not just the audio. And like people can see me. so much more than the audio. I was more, I I actually probably was watching Josh more than listening. Yes. If you want to see the video of that, you have to subscribe to our Patreon. (laughs) It's a special Patreon that you can see my nonsense. You get to see the hand gestures that actually went along with that amazing dramatic reading. I'm a very gestural being. It's definitely (laughs) worth it just for that. Um, I mean, Lord of the Swill Bucket. He was really trying to find some titles there, weren't he, with that one? Scrape in the barrel. Yeah, Lord of the Swill. Like, that's not a good thing. Napoleon approved of this poem and caused it to be inscribed on the wall of the big barn at the opposite end from the Seven Commandments. It was surmounted by a portrait of Napoleon in profile, executed by Squealer in white paint. Meanwhile... Through the agency of Wimper, Napoleon was engaged in complicated negotiations with Frederick and Pilkington. The pile of timber was still unsold. Of the two, Frederick was the more anxious to get hold of it, but he would not offer a reasonable price. At the same time, there were renewed rumours that Frederick and his men were plotting to attack Animal Farm and to destroy the windmill the building of which had aroused furious jealousy in him. Snowball was known to still be skulking on Pinchfield Farm. In the middle of the summer, the animals were alarmed to hear that three hens had come forward and confessed that, inspired by Snowball, they had entered into a plot to murder Napoleon. They were executed immediately, and fresh precautions for Napoleon's safety were taken. Four dogs guarded his bed at night, one at each corner, and a young pig named Pinkeye was given the task of tasting all his food before he ate it, lest it should be poisoned. He has got a taster. See, he Stop. is spiralling. He yeah. is spiralling. Paranoid, much. Yeah. Was he called Pinkeye? Pinkeye, Pinkeye yeah. Okay. That's what he's called. Maybe he's um, an albino. Maybe. At about the same time, it was given out that Napoleon had arranged to sell the pile of timber to Mr Pilkington. He was also going to enter into a regular agreement for the exchange of certain products between Animal Farm and Foxwood. The relationships between Napoleon and Pilkington, though they were only conducted through Wimper, were now almost friendly. The animals distrusted Pilkington 
as a human being, but greatly preferred him to Frederick, whom they both feared and hated. As the summer wore on and the windmill neared completion, the rumours of an impending treacherous attack grew stronger and stronger. Frederick, it was said, intended to bring against them twenty men, all armed with guns, and he had already bribed the magistrates and police, so that if he could once get hold of the title deeds of Animal Farm, they would ask no questions. Moreover, terrible stories were leaking out from Pinchfield about the cruelties that Frederick practised upon his animals. He had flogged an old horse to death, starved his cows, he had killed a dog by throwing it into the furnace, he amused himself in the evenings by making cocks fight with splinters of razor-blade tied to their spurs. The animals' blood boiled with rage when they heard these things being done to their comrades, and sometimes they clamoured to be allowed to go out in a body and attack Pinchfield Farm, drive out the humans, and set the animals free. But Squealer counselled them to avoid rash actions, and trust in Comrade Napoleon's strategy. Nevertheless, feeling against Frederick continued to run high. One Sunday morning, Napoleon appeared in the barn and explained that he had never at any time contemplated selling the pile of timber to Frederick. He considered it beneath his dignity, he said, to have dealings with scoundrels of that description. The pigeons, who were still being sent to spread tidings of the rebellion, were forbidden to set foot anywhere on Foxwood, and were also ordered to drop their former slogan of death to humanity in favour of death to Frederick. In the late summer, yet another of Snowball's machinations was laid bare. The wheat crop was full of weeds, and it was discovered that on one of his nocturnal visits, Snowball had mixed weed seeds with the seed corn. A gander, who had been privy to the plot, had confessed his guilt to Squealer, and immediately committed suicide by swallowing deadly nightshade berries. The animals now also learned that Snowball had never, as many of them had believed hitherto, received the order of animal hero first class. This was merely a legend which had been spread some time after the Battle of the Cowshed by Snowball himself. So far from being decorated, he had been censured for showing cowardice in the battle. Once again, some of the animals heard this with a certain bewilderment, but Squealer was soon able to convince them that their memories had been at fault. In the autumn, by a tremendous, exhausting effort, for the harvest had to be gathered at almost exactly the same time. The windmill was finished. Hooray! So congratulations, everyone. About congratulations time. to you all. It I mean, it's taken long. a while. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like crossrail. In, I mean, in their, their defence, the first one was knocked down by Snowball, wasn't it? So, yes, it was yeah. all him. That's impressive. All him. A, a single mm. pig to knock down. One pig they pushed down all way too much stones. credit. I know. Yeah. They almost make him sound like a superhero, like a, a baddie superhero. Yeah, it, it's the boogeyman. It's literally like the boogeyman. I don't know who I hate more, Snowball or that darn Frederick. <laughs> <laughs> the machinery had still to be installed, and Wimper was negotiating the purchase of it. But the structure was completed. In the teeth of every difficulty, 
in spite of inexperience, of primitive implements, of bad luck and of Snowball's treachery, the work had been finished punctually to the very day. Tired but proud, the animals walked round and round their masterpiece, which appeared even more beautiful in their eyes than when it had been built the first time. Moreover, the walls were twice as thick as before. Nothing short of explosives would lay them low this time. And when they thought of how they had laboured, what discouragements they had overcome, and the enormous difference that would be made in their lives when the sails were turning and the dynamos running, when they thought of all this, their tiredness forsook them, and they gambled around and around the windmill, uttering cries of triumph. Napoleon himself, attended by his dogs and his cockerel, came down to inspect the completed work. He personally congratulated the animals on their achievement and announced that the mill would be named Napoleon Mill. Of course it will, because the person with the least amount of work deserves to put his name on it. That's correct. Absolutely. That's a bit like Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Everything's called Khalifa. Um, or Sheikh bin Zayed, it's everywhere. Oh, really? It's a, it's the only place. I mean, I don't think it's compa- it's comparable in some ways, but not in others. But it's the only place I've been where it's just like, whoa! I have seen more photos of this guy than my own family. <laughs> like, and just everything: the library, the children's playground, every single thing. And I'm like, he ain't been to that swing. Yeah, <laughs> he's not been to that sports hall. But it is just like, yeah, is it really like- creepy? A little bit, particularly when you see it's quite almost imposing when you've got like the photos on huge buildings. Like mm. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean like that, but like the, the Burj Khalifa, but I'm just like big, big blocks, and it's just like there with the flag. Mm. Um, it's the most nationalist place I've ever been. Mm. Wow. Um, so I bet that's a li- yeah. It it wouldn't be the it's it wouldn't turning be the first thing that, that Napoleon's going to do. Yeah, it would be the Napoleon um, trough. I'm just trying to think of other ones. The Napoleon trough. <laughs> you would think that he would be at least a little bit humble in this instance and at least call it like animal windmill or boxer windmill since boxer did most of the work. He ain't going to do that. I'm surprised he hasn't said, do you know what? Actually, knock it down. Can we do one of those Mount Rushmore things? But with oh, my me. Face, thanks. Yeah. Or he's like, just run the cables to my personal apartment because I'm the only one who's going to be using the electricity. Yeah, I can benefit from the dynamo and you can't. That's correct. The rest of the U lot can just freeze to death. <laughs> be funny if it was like it was only going to be powerful to like power like a really like novelty thing. Like a small light, <laughs> or like a child's electric circuit at school. Yeah. It's like a little motor. <laughs> it's just for Napoleon's personal scale electrics, and that's it. <laughs> pigs, that would I would pay to watch two pigs play scale electrics. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> two days later, the animals were called together for a special meeting in the barn. They were struck dumb with surprise when Napoleon announced that he had sold the pile of timber to Frederick. (laughs) Tomorrow, Frederick's wagons would arrive and begin carting it away. Throughout the whole period of his seeming friendship with Pilkington, Napoleon had really been in secret agreement with Frederick. All relations with Foxwood had been broken off. Insulting messages had been sent to Pilkington. The pigeons had been told to avoid Pinchfield Farm and to alter their slogan from death to Frederick to death to Pilkington. 
At the same time, Napoleon assured the animals that the stories of an impending attack on Animal Farm were completely untrue, and that the tales about Frederick's cruelty to his own animals had been greatly exaggerated. All these rumours had probably originated with Snowball and his agents. It now appeared that Snowball was not, after all, hiding on Pinchfield Farm, and in fact he had never been there in his life. He was living in considerable luxury, so it was said, at Foxwood, and had in reality been a pensioner of Pilkington for years past. The pigs were in ecstasies over Napoleon's cunning. By seeming to be friendly with Pilkington, he had forced Frederick to raise his price by £12. But the superior quality of Napoleon's mind, said Squealer, was shown in the fact that he trusted nobody, not even Frederick. Frederick had wanted to pay for the timber with something called a cheque, which it seemed was a piece of paper with a promise to pay written upon it. But Napoleon was too clever for him. He had demanded payment in five real pound notes, which were to be handed over before the timber was removed. Already Frederick had paid up, and the sum he had paid was just enough to buy the machinery for the windmill. Do they have a piggy bank? <laughs> <laughs> the irony here is a Napoleon that a bank. bank that a banknote in and of itself is a promise. It's not the real money. Yeah, the bank true. the banknotes say I on it. I promise to, I pay, promise the to pay the bearer. Mm-hmm. And actually, that was supposed to equate to the gold in the national whatever. So a, a check in in and cash in that sense are the same. Meanwhile, the timber was being carted away at high speed. When it was all gone, another special meeting was held in the barn for the animals to inspect Frederick's banknotes. Smiling beatifically, and wearing both his decorations, Napoleon reposed on a bed of straw on the platform, with the money at his side, neatly piled on a china dish from the farmhouse kitchen. The animals filed slowly past, and each gazed his fill and Boxer put out his nose to sniff at the banknotes, and the flimsy white things stirred and rustled in his breath. Three days later, there was a terrible hullabaloo. Wimper, his face deadly pale, came racing up the path on his bicycle, flung it down in the yard and rushed straight into the farmhouse. The next moment, a choking roar of rage sounded from Napoleon's apartments. The news of what had happened sped around the farm like wildfire. The banknotes were forgeries. <laughs> Frederick had got the timber for nothing. Oh, no. it, it's like you're not so smart now, are you? He just doesn't After know all this the world. Talk of the check, you know. Yeah, uh, no, if he had, oh, that's yeah. the thing. He doesn't have a clue. He should have said, "No, what it ain't gold." Trade it for something else. Yeah, gold. Hmm. Yeah, or just like, why don't you just say, why don't you buy the machinery I need and then I'll swap you the yeah. machinery for the timber. Thanks very much. Or just do the whole transaction through Mr. Wimper who would know what the banknotes should look like. Exactly. Yeah, an intermediary, but there you go. Didn't, they didn't have like the ink you can put on the ink on the on the, on the banknotes. They didn't have the little like, UV light. Like, like, I do love yeah. the idea of them just giving him like an A4 piece of paper with like, this is £12 written on it. <laughs> and he's like, yep, seems legit to me. Thanks very much. I'm going to show this off to the animals. Yeah, <laughs> a cartoon picture of the queen. Yeah. <laughs> like. In addition, four pigeons were sent to Foxwood with a conciliatory message which it was hoped might re-establish good relations with Pilkington. 
The very next morning, the attack came. The animals were at breakfast when the lookouts came racing in with the news that Frederick and his followers had already come through the five-barred gate. Boldly enough, the animals sallied forth to meet them. But this time, they did not have the easy victory that they had had in the Battle of the Cowshed. There were fifteen men, with half a dozen guns between them, and they opened fire as soon as they got within fifty yards. The animals could not face the terrible explosions and the stinging pellets, and in spite of the efforts of Napoleon and Boxer to rally them, they were soon driven back. A number of them were already wounded. They took refuge in the farm buildings and peeped cautiously out from chinks and knot-holes. The whole of the big pasture, including the windmill, was in the hands of the enemy. For the moment, even Napoleon seemed at a loss. He paced up and down without a word, his tail rigid and twitching. Wistful glances were sent in the direction of Foxwood. If Pilkington and his men would help them, the day might yet be won. But at this moment, the four pigeons who had been sent out on the day before returned, one of them bearing a scrap of paper from Pilkington. On it was pencilled the words, Serves you right. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that Napoleon thinks he's this genius, like this war genius. And you can see that like all of the military strategy was Snowball. Snowball was blatantly the person who had the intellect to actually understand how the world works. Napoleon was just the brute who came in on the back of it and through force and violence just grabbed power. But also it's quite apparent that the men of the village and the neighbouring farms have really just been like, let's just bide our time because essentially they're idiots in mm-hmm. comparison and we'll yeah. just let them believe that they're having their little thing and then blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Frederick and his men had halted about the windmill. The animals watched them and a murmur of dismay went round. Two of the men had produced a crowbar and a sledgehammer. They were going to knock the windmill down. Impossible, cried Napoleon. We have built the walls far too thick for that. They could not knock it down in a week. Courage, comrades. But Benjamin was watching the movements of the men intently. The two with the hammer and the crowbar were drilling a hole near the base of the windmill. Slowly, and with an air almost of amusement, Benjamin nodded his long muzzle. I thought so, he said. Do you not see what they are doing? In another moment they are going to blasting powder into that hole. Terrified, the animals waited. It was impossible now to venture out of the shelter of the buildings. After a few minutes, the men were seen to be running in all directions. Then there was a deafening roar. The pigeons swirled into the air and all the animals except Napoleon flung themselves flat on their bellies and hid their faces. When they got up again, A huge cloud of black smoke was hanging where the windmill had been. Slowly, the breeze drifted it away. The windmill had ceased to exist. At this sight, the animals' courage returned to them. 
The fear and despair they had felt a moment earlier were drowned in their rage against this vile, contemptible act. A mighty cry for vengeance went up, and without waiting for further orders, they charged forth in a body and made straight for the enemy. This time they did not heed the cruel pellets that swept over them like hail. It was a savage, bitter battle. The men fired again and again, and when the animals got to close quarters, lashed out with their sticks and their heavy boots. A cow, three sheep and two geese were killed, and nearly everyone was wounded. Even Napoleon, who was directing operations from the rear, had the tip of his tail chipped by a pellet. But the men did not go unscathed either. Three of them had their heads broken by blows from boxers' hooves. Another was gored in the belly by a cow's horn. Another had his trousers nearly torn off by Jesse and Bluebell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! The indecency of it all. (laughs) I bet you. I bet he had um, like heart boxes on. Yes, heart boxes. (laughs) Yes, exactly that. I mean, broken head, not not fractured. No, their heads broken. broken. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing it's just there's a big, huge hoof kind of cave in on the side yeah. where the wow. horses blooming kicked him. And when the nine dogs of Napoleon's own bodyguard, whom he had instructed to make a detour under cover of the hedge, suddenly appeared on the men's flank, baying ferociously, panic overtook them. They saw that they were in danger of being surrounded. Frederick shouted to his men to get out while the going was good, and the next moment the cowardly enemy was running for dear life. The animals chased them right down to the bottom of the field, and got in some last kicks at them as they forced their way through the thorn hedge. They had won, but they were weary and bleeding. Slowly they began to limp back towards the farm. The sight of their dead comrades stretched upon the grass moved some of them to tears, and for a little while they halted in sorrowful silence at the place where the windmill had once stood. Yes, it was gone. Almost the last trace of their labour was gone. Even the foundations were partially destroyed, and in rebuilding it they could not this time, as before, make use of the fallen stones. This time the stones had vanished too. The force of the explosion had flung them to distances of hundreds of yards. It was as though the windmill had never been. As they approached the farm, Squealer, who had unaccountably been absent during the fighting, came skipping towards them, whisking his tail and beaming with satisfaction and the animals heard, from the direction of the farm buildings, a solemn booming of a gun. "'What is that gun firing for?' said Boxer. "'To celebrate our victory!' (laughs) cried Squealer. (laughs) Who doesn't need Kermit after a battle? (laughs) (laughs) Straight away, the spirits are lifted. That's it. I loved your sort of shrug there, like, victory! Ish. Yeah. Victory. (laughs) 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 What victory? Said Boxer. His knees were bleeding. 
He had lost a shoe and split his hoof, and a dozen pellets had lodged themselves in his hind leg. What victory, comrade? Have we not driven the enemy off our soil, the sacred soil of Animal Farm? But I've destroyed the windmill, and we worked on it for two years. What matter? We will build another windmill. We will build six windmills if we feel like it. You do not appreciate, comrade, the mighty thing that we have done. The enemy was in occupation of this very ground that we stand upon. And now, thanks to the leadership of our comrade Napoleon, we have won every inch of it back again. Then we have won back what we had before, said Boxer. That is our victory, said Squealer. They limped into the yard. The pellets under the skin of Boxer's legs smarted painfully. He saw ahead of him the heavy labour of rebuilding the windmill from the foundations, and already in imagination he braced himself for the task. This is exactly what I was going to point out. When he's like, you know, we will build a thing. It's like, no, Squealer, there's no we. It's me. I will have to build the re- the windmill again and those other six you're talking about. So don't make this a we thing. You didn't even fight these men off. So don't say no. we had a victory because you were nowhere to be seen. And it's just this typical thing of elites and working class where it's all like, oh, we're all in this together. That sounds familiar, right? We're all in this mm-hmm. together, but I'm just going to sit here in my mansion and you guys can all starve to death because you're not allowed to go to work. Yeah, and I've got Great, I've got mad respect for Boxer, but clearly yeah. his, I mean, at some point, his I will work harder has got to be like, yeah. you know what? No. No. And I wouldn't blame him at all. Yeah. Only- oh, so far, you can be pushed. Yeah. Exactly. Hopefully. Revolution and the revolution. Definitely. Yeah. Hopefully he realizes, you know, at the end of the day, he has the strength to overthrow the whole thing. That's it. But for the first time, it occurred to him that he was 11 years old, and that perhaps his great muscles were not quite what they had once been. But when the animals saw the green flag flying, and heard the gun firing again, seven times it was fired in all, and heard the speech that Napoleon made congratulating them on their conduct, it did seem to them after all that they had won a great victory. The animals slain in battle were given a solemn funeral, Boxer and Clover pulled the wagon which served as a hearse, and Napoleon himself walked at the head of the procession. Two whole days were given over to celebrations. There were songs, speeches, and more firing of the gun, and a special gift of an apple was bestowed on every animal, with two ounces of corn for each bird and three biscuits for each dog. It was announced that the battle would be called the Battle of the Windmill, and that Napoleon had created a new decoration, the Order of the Green Banner, which he had conferred upon himself. <laughs> Standard. For the little even. nick in his tail that he received. Uh, yeah. War wounds! I bet he milked, I'm surprised they didn't like make him milk it like he came out in like bandages. Yeah, he would have been rolling around on the floor howling a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In the general rejoicings, the unfortunate affair of the banknotes was forgotten. It was a few days later than this that the pigs came upon a case of whiskey 
in the cellars of the farmhouse. It had been overlooked at the time when the house was first occupied. That night there came from the farmhouse the sound of loud singing, to which, to everyone's surprise, the strains of Beast of England were mixed up. At about half-past nine, Napoleon, wearing an old bowler hat of Mr. Jones, was distinctly seen to emerge from the back door, <laughs> gallop rapidly round the yard, and disappear indoors again. He's like, look at this distinguished gentleman. You're still a pig, though, aren't you? That's the thing. It's a matter what you yeah. dress up in. You're still a pig. Still a pig. In the morning, a deep silence hung over the farmhouse. <laughs> hung over is right. Mm, that's a good good play on words there. I like that. Well done. Not a pig appeared to be stirring. It was nearly it's nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not even a mouse. I thought you were going to say not even mini mouse. <laughs> <laughs> mini mouse. That would have been better, but I'm not. Oh, even me. <laughs> I mean, we just build upon these. Yeah, just great. beat you to it. Sorry. Teamwork, teamwork. It was nearly nine o'clock when Squealer made his appearance, walking slowly and dejectedly, his eyes dull, his tail (laughs) hanging limply behind him. (laughs) We've all been there, mate. Really feeling sorry for himself. Uh, He needs a fryer. That's the problem. He needs bacon and eggs. That's what he needs. (laughs) He needs greasy fried food, including a bit of off his own flank. (laughs) And with every appearance of being seriously ill, He called the animals together and told them that he had a terrible piece of news to impart. Comrade Napoleon was dying. A cry of lamentation went up. Straw was laid down outside the doors of the farmhouse and the animals walked on tiptoe. With tears in their eyes, they asked one another what they should do if their leader was taken away from them. A rumour went round that Snowball had, after all, contrived to introduce poison into Napoleon's food. At eleven o'clock, Squealer came out to make another announcement. As his last act upon earth, Comrade Napoleon had pronounced a solemn decree. The drinking of alcohol was to be punished by death. By the evening, however, Napoleon appeared to be somewhat better, and the following morning, <laughs> Squealer was able to tell them that he was well on the way to recovery. By the evening of that day, Napoleon was back at work, and on the next day it was learned that he had instructed Wimper to purchase in Willingdon some booklets on brewing and distilling. A week later, Napoleon gave orders that the small paddock beyond the orchard, which it had previously been intended to set aside as a grazing ground for animals who were past work, was to be ploughed up. It was given out that the pasture was exhausted and needed reseeding, and it soon became known that Napoleon intended to sow it with barley. About this time, there occurred a strange incident which hardly anyone was able to understand. One night, at about twelve o'clock, there was a loud crash in the yard, and the animals rushed out of, and the animals rushed out of their stalls. It was a moonlit night. At the foot of the end wall of the big barn, where the seven commandments were written, there lay a ladder, broken in two pieces. Squealer, temporarily stunned, was sprawled beside it, 
and Happen. near at hand there lay a lantern, a paintbrush, and an overturned pot of white paint. The dogs immediately made a ring round Squealer and escorted him back to the farmhouse as soon as he was able to walk. None of the animals could form any idea as to what this meant, except old Benjamin, who nodded his muzzle with a knowing air and seemed to understand, but would say nothing. But a few days later, Muriel, reading over the Seven Commandments to herself, noticed that there was yet another of them which the animals had remembered wrong. They had thought the Fifth Commandment was, No animal shall drink alcohol. But there were two words that they had forgotten. Actually, the commandment read, No animal shall drink alcohol to excess. <laughs> End of chapter. I mean, so basically the pigs have turned into a fraternity. For yeah, goodness they're, they're sake. Parties. Yeah, they'd be like, they'd red plastic cups. And like Absolutely keg, like keg stands. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that they're like, I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then it's like, oh actually I'm okay. Yeah, sure. Oh, let's do that again. <laughs> I need, I need more of that. I need another hit it's of that. that immediate reaction to first <laughs> yeah. hangover. Like, I'm never doing this again and I think it, I'm going to die. Two days later, it's like, how do I make Let, more of this stuff? Feel the folly. Make your own homebrew. <laughs> You'll remember me. It's so good. <laughs> so good. I mean, it's just crazy how these pigs are just behaving. You just, oh, uh, for, for intelligent beings, you'd think they'd just be a bit more subtle about everything, but they're really not. They're sort of smart, but they're just sort of smart kids, aren't they? Still making stupid yeah, mistakes. Yeah, but I think also what it is, is it, it's that arrogance that comes with being an elite, of believing that you are untouchable no matter what yeah. you do. And we see so much of that currently in the government, where it's like, yeah. you should resign for that. You did a terrible thing. No, I don't think I will. I'm just going to carry on and there's nothing you can do about it. And everyone goes, oh, okay. There's nothing we can do about it. No, but do you know what I mean? That's literally the state of our government right now, mm -hmm. where people who just believe that they're better than everybody else and can behave however they want just don't have any kind of consequences. Yeah. I told you, man, this book is so scarily accurate for where we are currently politically. But I can I can so picture this the unwritten scene of they got wasted, then someone was like, and then and then you can imagine Napoleon going, Squealer! I know what we should do. Well, and then he's slurring his speech. You, know, you have to, you have to add the words to the wall. Otherwise, it, they will, they will think we're liars. And they're okay. Yeah, yeah. I will do it now. Let me get I my was... people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Be quick, be quick, Squiller. What are you, you doing? You have to be really quiet. Uh, very, very quiet. Hey, sorry, hey. Uh, comrade. Come read the book. You like that? You do ask, it. You're hey. drug. No, no, you're drug. Squiller. No, you are. Hey, okay. Comrade Squiller. Hey, it's uh, fine. I can walk. It's hey. fine. Hey. We should start the band. <laughs> oh, no. who, who here complained? You, know, you, know, you know what? I I I really love you, man. You know when we all we started. Everybody, everybody, I thought, be quiet, everybody be quiet! I've written a poem. A poem for the occasion. Minimus. Oh God, it's so unfortunate. Right. So for this book, we are looking at lit charts currently. Oh yeah, oh yeah, lit charts. 
I think the main thing with this chapter is the whole parallels between the relationship of the USSR and Nazi Germany. So when Stalin and Hitler were kind of both in power, they actually signed a non-aggression agreement, which basically Stalin said, look, Hitler, as long as you don't invade us, we're not going to get involved. Mm. Whatever you're up to, because I, I can I can spot a fellow dictator. I can spot mm. a fellow nasty person. You, know, you do your thing over there. I'll do my thing over here and we'll just kind of keep out each other's way. And Hitler was like, yeah, sure, bro. Yeah, let's just sign that. Let's just sign that. <laughs> and then literally within like a year invaded the USSR. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what this whole talk between uh, Frederick and Napoleon here is. This is literally Hitler and Stalin going at it. And then when the USSR got invaded, obviously, you know, the, the Germans gave him a good stonking at first. And so... Stalin then wrote to the Allies and went, oh, Hitler's invaded. you got to help me out. you got to help me out. We're on the same side, right? We've always been friends. We've always been friends. And the Allies kind of went, well, no, you got in bed with him. You signed. We all said we're going to be aggressive towards him. And you signed a non-aggression. You've made this bed. He's betrayed you. Get on with it. Good luck. And they left him to it. The USSR eventually managed to push them out of Russia. But kind of at same a cost land. yeah yeah at but a cost the, but yeah they, they i can imagine they regain the same land at yes. a cost so it's exactly the same yeah yeah exactly so it's meant to be the um the parallels of opening the eastern front of world war Two, in which hitler's armies began to invade the ussr and within months were within 40 miles of the capital city of moscow stalin's men were unable to effectively fight back and the allies were understandably unwilling to work with stalin after he signed the non-aggression pact with hitler Now, then the parallel comes to the destruction of the windmill. And it says the destruction of the windmill and the animals ensuing victory continues the parallel with Germany occupation. Though the Soviet forces did eventually emerge victorious, notice that the animals, the ones who actually did the hard work of fighting off the armed men, have a far more realistic view of what happened and what will happen going forward. Squealer, however, has to spin this to look like a grand victory, as that's the only way to lift the spirits of the animals and trick them into thinking this is much more meaningful than they think it is. And then it goes on to how the celebration basically is used and the two days off is used to distract everybody. So pay attention to the way that the celebration brings the animals round to Squealer and Napoleon's way of thinking. This makes it clear that the purpose of these celebratory exercises is to remind the lower classes what they're fighting for, i.e. the state, and will distract them from whatever injuries, illness or other wrongdoings they're suffering at the hands of that same state. So the celebration is basically meant to turn you into this like, I'm a patriot, I'm fighting for this government, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Let's just forget the fact that a week ago, this same government was murdering me and my fellow people who didn't agree with the way it was being run. Let's just use frivolity and, you know, presumably like being given compliments like, you're amazing, Mm. this was so good to just, yeah, completely. It also kind of highlights the power of the they us and them Mm -hmm. as soon as you have a them you can rally people around anything even if what you're selling is crap i guess on a to a a further extent it's the idea of like oh i'm fighting to protect 
our country i'm fighting for my country and then when you actually think about yeah but the conflict is like a trade conflict about so what part of that i know this that's that's different we could talk about recent conflicts where that is definitely the case yeah um but yeah that 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 idea is like no i'm fighting for britain i am fighting for america it's like well it's not quite the same as like they're literally at your door and you have to defend it it's you know yeah yeah it's not like they're killing your people it's like they've you know given you some fake money like you know Mm. not not quite the same which your leader should have been smarter about in the first place yeah if it wasn't for your leader being a bit more tactful it probably wouldn't have happened in the first place anyway yeah now, what's interesting is that Litcharts doesn't actually... I don't believe that Litcharts here understands the historical significance of the alcohol because they're basically just talking about like, oh, the fact that Napoleon's hangover, they think it's death, shows how unprepared the pigs are for being actual like members of the human world. They're naive and there's loads of stuff they don't understand, yet they're trying to interact with this world as equals. And obviously it kind of relates back to them being... Uh, defrauded with the money as well they think that they're smart but actually they're not quite on the same level as everyone they're trying to interact with and they're more naive but what actually used to happen under stalin's regime is he used to get his cabinet hammered constantly he would intentionally yeah he would intentionally pull his cabinet in and they'd do all-nighters and everyone was too scared to leave and stalin would drink water and force his cabinet to get hammered because it was obviously a loyalty thing people are more loose-lipped more loose-tongued when they're hammered and he used to do it as a thing of being able to probe people so they would stay up until like all hours of the evening just drinking and drinking and drinking and some of the cabinet members even tried to like water down their drinks and they just never got away with it so again behind the bastards really good podcast there's actually a thing about stalin's drunken cabinet parties and i think that that's actually what this is meant to be a parallel of the fact that stalin and his closest government officials used to get hammered on the reg which that's amazing does make you realize why they were incompetent because if you are constantly hung over yeah supposed to be running everyone knows they're not at their best put it that way (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. but what was more important to stalin and to napoleon was the loyalty that that instilled rather than the competence he wasn't worried about having competent people around him incompetent was fine as long as you're loyal as long as you realize your job and the reason you are here is because i gave it to you and you are loyal to me you can be as terrible as at your job as you want to be and that's why often these dictatorships end up failing because the same thing happened with saddam hussein's government everything was given on patronage everything was about i'll give you this position just because you're loyal to me and that's why they often go to family members rather than actually because you're able to actually fulfill that role and so that's why these governments are always corrupt that's why everyone's always embezzling money and that's why they're failed they essentially failed states because they don't have anyone running them that knows what they're actually doing. <laughs> so yeah, that's just a little tidbit from that podcast. That's a whole about new meaning me. to a drinking cabinet, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. The medicine cabinet was a bit more bad. Yeah. One thing I'd want to just quickly point out as well is just Benjamin. I just think he's hilarious because he completely understands all the way through this exactly what is happening. Oh, yeah, at no point steps in or makes it his responsibility to inform everybody else. Which is mad, really. And I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, but this is academics. 
This is the thing. This is why, like, educated people are such a threat to the state. And Benjamin's clever enough to know how how dangerous he is to Napoleon. Yeah. So instead of throwing a, a fox in the chickens or whatever metaphor you want to use, instead of rocking the boat, he just goes, do you know what? I know what's going on, but I'm just going to keep my head down and survive. Because, because I know. He know. Yeah, because he knows. Because he knows. And that's a lot of the time that is what academics do in these kinds of states. A lot of the time they do just keep their heads down because they know exactly so, what's going it's on. It's so cowardly. He could, it is. He's in a position but, to be able to rally the revolution against, but he's he not using. Intellectually in a position, yes. But we found not that Snowball was intellectually in a position, but that didn't stop him getting chased off. And Benjamin knows that. Do you know what I mean? So it's like he knows that like it's not just about being smarter. You need to have the legitimate use of violence. And right now, Napoleon owns the violence on Animal Farm. Mm. And so there's no way that he can actually overthrow Napoleon until he can match that level of violence. Until you can counteract the dogs, you can't do anything. Until you can counteract which the secret police is what they stand for in this point. Unless you can match that level of violence, there's no point sticking your head out because you're, you're not going to survive. There you go. A bleak I outlook love for the rest of the book. a lovely bleak point before we Yeah, finish. that's the worst place to be, just to be like, oh. Two chapters to go. It's looking bleaker than ever. Benjamin wishes he was the naive one. Yes. Worse to, it's, worse to be, it's worse to be able to know about it and not be able to do anything. About well, yeah, because yeah, he's literally sitting here at the end realising he knows exactly what Squealer's doing. He knows they're changing the rules. He knows they're bending everything to their advantage. And he just kind of he goes, mm, yeah, I see that. And just kind of keeps walking and doesn't really is. tell the other animals what's going on because he doesn't want to be the ringleader or the person singled out as the person causing trouble. Because he sees what happened to anyone that's done the mildest Exactly. at all he's not yeah. stupid like some of the other ducks and geese who are like snowball told me to wean we in I the love trough the way or... Orwell picks <laughs> on foul I know. Like the dumb ones the birds are always the silly ones I know when like yeah I mean you, they do call it bird brain <laughs> true but then you some bird birds brain. are like well clever yeah it's true parrots and ravens I think ravens are like some of the smartest animals they actually. are yeah 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 and they run a good children's game shows <laughs> oh dear only like bbc watching cbbc watching people will understand that reference yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you have any thoughts or opinions on this chapter you can message us on the lazy book club at gmail.com or if you'd like to show some other insight or any things you've noticed that you like um on our twitter our handle is at lazy book club pod I thought you were going to say if you want to stand up for birds and tweet about it. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. No, nope. on that occasion, I just said something really sensible. I was like, oh. I know, I'm just not used to it at all. <laughs> if you want to reach out on Instagram, uh, our handle is exactly the same as it is everywhere else at Lazy Book Club Pod. We also now run a Patreon. Uh, so if you'd like to support us, it costs only $3 a month and you get a bonus episode every month. Currently, there is Hansel and Gretel on there. And also, we've just started filming our episodes. And so people who are on the Patreon get to watch the video of our episodes, should they so wish, as well as being able to listen I mean, to the audio. Treat. What an absolute I delight. I know. When we kind of come up with some more benefits, we will add them in as well. I might actually add a poll on the Patreon so that they can uh, pick our next book Ooh, as yeah. well. Just like a vote or just that? a big poll. Yeah. Like, like it's a, a giant <laughs> poll. <laughs> it would be I've got an idea. We could get Josh to sing Beasts of England in any place... 
uh, of your choosing. <laughs> Every- <laughs> Have him in Parliament Square with a <laughs> communist flag singing Beast yeah. of England. Yeah, <laughs> because protests are legal. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Talk about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you have enjoyed our podcast, please do rate it. Please do share it. Five stars would be lovely if you could. And otherwise, we will see you next week for chapter nine. Ta-ta for now. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.